0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, I think most of us have heard the adage, actions speak louder than words. Have you all heard that? And usually we we kind of use that or we direct that to a person or, or a people group when we make an observation and identify that there's a discrepancy between what someone says and what someone actually backed up and what someone did. And what we're, trying to, what we're actually really saying is that you said this, but you did that, but your actions actually nullify what you just said. Actions do speak louder than words. The Bible speaks a whole lot about this, about the importance of our actions. In fact, one of the... Um, Um, one of the most popular verses, Proverbs actually. Have you ever heard that proverb that says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he as man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, the context of that, which is in Proverbs 23, says, do not eat bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat, drink, he says to you, but in his heart he's not with you. Basically, what that proverb is saying, you need to be careful with the people you associate with, because they may be generous with their words, but their actions actually belie what they just said. And you need to understand that even though someone may say something, if their actions are actually not like lining up with that, that actually speaks to the true person, that actually speaks to their character. So sometimes we can hang around people and we may possibly even be a person and, and we know how to run our mouth wall. Well, you know, we've been Christians for a long time, but our actions backing it up. In fact, that word integrity is a word that we often like use and we often throw around, but integrity is basically the inside and the outside matching. That's what integrity is. So even if you meet someone and like on the inside, you think, whoa, you're a little bit nasty, but On the outside, they're nasty too. They're actually quite integrous because the inside and the outside are actually... Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) It's true because the inside and the outside, they match. Anyway, (laughs) it's not good, but it's true. (laughs) So the inside and the outside. So most of you know I'm a professing West Coast Eagles fan and um, I need a lot of prayer because obviously we suck. Um, But alas... It might interest you to know that this afternoon i 've been offered free tickets to go to the Fremantle Dockers game here 's the test here 's where we are. okay, so I 'm an Anglo-Indian, so I 'll take a free ticket any day of the week. All right but, but here 's the test. am I? Am I going to be cheering for those boys in purple? i don't know) <laughs> But when we see the actions and words, when they don't line up, we we kind of deem those words, you know what, those words are void now. There's nothing of substance in them. But let me ask you a question. What would possibly happen if if actions and words are in complete agreement? What does it mean then? If, If actions don't dismiss what was said, rather our actions actually uphold, they build up and they actually put an exclamation mark on what we actually profess, on what we declare That's really what this series is about. It's about our actions and our words. Because as Christians, we say a lot of things, but the challenge of Jesus is to actually back it up with our actions. And that's the reason why we've called this series Higher Love. We've been, throughout this scripture, um, been sort of laying a foundation of two key um, passages, or two key uh, um, parts in, in, in the Gospels. One is the missional launch of Jesus' ministry, which is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, where Jesus comes to his hometown, he's in the synagogue, and and, and he's he's given um, the role, it comes from Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's how he launches his mystery, his ministry. That's actually his self-understanding of what his missional um, vocation was on this earth. Yet later on, he speaks to his disciples in John 20 verse 21. He says to them, peace with you, get this, as the Father has sent me, how did the Father send him? Luke chapter 4 verse 18 to 19, that's how the Father sent him. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you and then he blows and the Holy Spirit comes on him and that's how we're sent. So there is something about understanding how Jesus went about mission and that somehow that actually applies to our life even today. Um, And part of this series is also grappling with what the role and what the function of the church is today in 2018. Um, because we could read through history say, yeah, the church did that, church did that, the church did that. But what is the role and function of the church here today? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news that the reign of God has broken into our world. Isn't that good to know? The reign of God has broken into our world through the person of Jesus Christ. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reign of God has already broken through. That's good to know, isn't it? Now, we may say that the reign of God has broken through, but there are many parts where you look around and say, God ain't reigning there, and God ain't reigning there, and God's not reigning there, and there's injustice over there, and that's terrible over there. There are many parts where we do not see the reign of God, yet the reign of God has broken through, which means that the church is actually supposed to step forward in pressing forward the mission of Jesus Christ And the role and the function of the church is to seek to be this liberating agent of the Spirit as God's reign breaks in among us. There's actually a role, there's actually a function of the church. That we as the body of Christ, our primary function isn't on nine o'clock on a Sunday, I'm going to go to church, I need to tick that off. That is actually a really important thing as an identity marker of a church. If you ever meet a Christian and say, you know, I just worship by myself, that is not scriptural. You just need to know that it ain't scriptural. You cannot like, you can't open up Holy Scripture to me and say, that's where it is. And, and people may say, you know what, you know, I feel the Lord said it's okay. Well, I feel the Lord said and the Bible said are two completely different things. And if we hear something from the Holy Spirit, it is definitely going to line up with Holy Scripture. Right? But there's actually something more important and something so significant about we as the church, that we move forward, that we step into places, that we are actually pushing forward and moving forward the mission of Jesus Christ in the world in the year 2018 in Western Australia. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that great to know? Which means that there are things that Jesus did that I can actually learn from because the things that Jesus did, I've got the opportunity to do the same things. Isn't that crazy? It begs the question, begs the question, where would you expect to see the church in 2018? Where would you? I mean, if the church is supposed to be this this agent, this catalyst of of, of seeing this liberating presence, the the grace of God coming, and and, and what Jesus said by missional understanding is that if we're supposed to... You'd expect to find the church where people are, in places, in social structures, in systems in need of liberation. Wouldn't that make sense? So anytime you see a place and you say, man, that place, whoa, God is not reigning over there. There must be something, oh, well, maybe the church is supposed to be in that area. Anytime you see a family situation say, God ain't reigning over there. Well, I think that's an opportunity for this church to step in because our role and function as this church has not changed. It has always been that. In fact, the role and function of the people of God has always been that. We read Holy Scripture and and a lot of times Jesus is teaching and he's actually pointing at a disparity between what the people of God were supposed to do and the reality, what they weren't doing. You're supposed to be a light on a hill, but you're not. So this is the role of the people of God, which... Personally, I find exciting. And we understand um, that salvation history has not moved to a place where, where there is total liberation. We can see that in the world, right? There are places around the globe. There are places in the city of Armadale where that has not happened. Yet we know that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a, car, there will be a day. The first advent of Jesus was very small. He came in a manger. The second advent not so small, not so small, going to be pretty big, going to be really exciting, going to be absolutely amazing. But in the meantime, Scripture says that we are living in this dispensation, this period of grace where people have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to God. That this period of grace is not going to exist forever, but we're blessed because we're in this. So we as a church, what are we doing in this period of grace that God has allotted, that God has given us? That's what we're on about. Are you excited about that? Man, what an opportunity God has given us. I feel like we're on a cusp or something. And I understand I've been saying that for six years, but I just feel there's an even greater urgency in that. We want our actions and our words to be in alignment with Jesus. And today I'm going to share a beautiful story um, that may shake us to the core, but I believe that if we have ears to hear what God will say, it may actually be a game changer and it may actually propel us and compel us and actually draw us into something greater of uh, the things of God. So we're in Luke chapter 8, and um, there's a story of when Jesus encounters this guy who's in serious need of help. So we're going to read from verse 26. Have you all got your Bibles open there? If your Bible is in your phone, make sure you crack your phone open in church to read your Bible. (laughs) Verse 26 says this, So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by, by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was... Place under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged, uh, Let Begged him to let them enter the pigs, so Jesus gave them permission. Remember, Phil, you call this the first case of devil ham in history, didn't you? When you preached this, I remember that. You did. It was a. Then the demons came out of the man. He entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down to the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw this, they fled to a nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what happened. The crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, get this, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. What an amazing response. That's intriguing. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus said to him, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. That's an interesting story, isn't it? What's significant, which we don't necessarily see when we just read that story, is the placement of the story. This story is placed very intentionally. The situation that precedes this story, which is happening, is Jesus and his disciples are on the lake and there is this fierce storm that rises. Do you remember that story? There's this fierce storm. Verse 24 of Luke 8 says, The disciples woke him, that being Jesus, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped and it was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the winds and waves obey him. The placement of this story of the man possessed by a this legion of demons, is really intentional and really significant. In fact, the story of the disciples and Jesus in the storm ends with the disciples asking the question, who is this guy? Who is this man? We don't get it. We just saw what just happened. We're about to die. He gets up. He just says something very simply. The storm's come. Who is this guy? And what is beautiful about this, the disciples ask a question and a very same question is answered by this demon-possessed man. Verse 28 of Luke 8 says, As he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him, and he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus is in a situation where there is something that's so uncontrollable as a fierce storm that's threatening their life? He wakes up. He simply rebukes it. And it calms down. Continues to go to sleep in the boat. They finish the boat trip, gets up. Very next thing, Jesus is encountering this uncontrollable man. There is something about Jesus that Scripture is showing us, how he steps into situations that are uncontrollable, and he brings order and he brings control into situations that are absolutely uncontrollable there was something happening here. Now we look at the miracles of Jesus and we look at all these things that Jesus does and and, and there is like miracles and his feeding and all this other stuff. But how is it that he can step into a place where the atmosphere is so out of control and he can bring order into it? And yet he says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That must open up an amazing opportunity for the church. That must open up an incredible opportunity for the church. This man, this the, this guy, is from a country of the, of Gerasenes. It's a Gentile region, hence we got people herding pigs. You would never see that in Israel. Okay, Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Gerasenes. Galilee is this area which is so far from Jerusalem and and actually has some Gentile occupants in there that people deemed that, that that Galilee wasn't really. It was a bit tainted. It wasn't that pure. It was kind of like a, it, it wasn't seen as, as God's, it wasn't seen in the best light. And then Jesus, in, in the gospel of Luke, for the very first time, he actually crosses over Galilee to step into a Gentile region, which is predominantly Gentile, and he encounters this guy. And after controlling an uncontrollable storm, he encounters a man possessed by demons who is out of control. This is interesting what happens here. You can see that there's something on this guy. In verse 28, the man says, Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Get this. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. I find this interesting. He simply broke them. Simply. He simply broke them and ran into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He's living in a region which is separated from Galilee by a lake. He has no idea. Yet, when Jesus steps foot on the land, he comes and he knows exactly who Jesus is. This is not natural, normal knowledge happening here. This guy has this superhuman strength where he can just simply break chains and shackles. This is a guy who's living in a cemetery. That's his home. This is a guy who has been tormented for so long by this. The Scripture goes on in verse 30 and Jesus says, "He actually, Scripture says, Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied. For he was filled with many demons. A legion was somewhere between 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers. That's what a legion was. So we're looking at a guy, and he's got a lot of demons in him, right? Previous to this, from Scripture, um, there was a um, casting out some demons. It was Mary Magdalene. She had, I think it was five or six. So it wasn't like, it was less than 10. And previous to that, it was just like one evil spirit. And you're seeing, but this is a situation where you got... 5 to 6000 that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot what i find interesting is how jesus approached this guy verse 31 to 32 of luke chapter 8 the demons kept begging jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Isn't that interesting? Here's a guy, he's got five to 6,000 demons in him. Obviously, everyone knows about him. They've tried to restrain him. He's living in the cemetery, which is kind of odd anyway, right? You know, that's not the most pleasant place to live. He's breaking off these chains. He's running around naked. Everyone knows there's something not right with this guy. And Jesus, in just dealing and addressing the situation, he doesn't like, he's not like yelling or stomping around or, or you know. You know what we do sometimes as charismatics? Like, you know, like, in the nose. He's not like, there's nothing like that. The demons say, let us go into pigs. And Jesus goes, okay. He gives permission. Interesting, isn't it? very actually very simple isn't it looks very simple as the father said to me i'm sending you wow maybe we can learn something here seems very simple very very simple kind of takes the awkward christian kind of theatric kind of stuff out of it a bit doesn't it yeah that's what i was reading and as a consequence, this man is liberated. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to release the captives. This guy is released. Wow. Fully in line with the missional stance, the missional launch of Jesus. The self-understanding of what Jesus was here to do. Verse 35 to 36 says, "...as people rushed to see what had happened, the crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons." He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Now, I want to say something um, right now. Today's message is not about um, casting out demons, and today's message is not about deliverance, okay? Because that is far too narrow, For us to be considering. That is far too narrow. For us to be considering. What I am endeavouring to articulate. Is another issue. And it is the issue of liberation. The issue of seeing a situation. Or a circumstance. That is out of control. And being those prophetic people. Who are willing to step into that situation. And see that situation come under control. Because we could easily run around and go into let's let's try and find a demon under every chair here. Life is actually more complicated than that. In the book of Genesis, we understand that sin comes and into this world, there's the doctrine of total total depravity, which is this doctrine which says that sin has come and it has touched every part of creation, which includes our biology. Okay? It includes our biology. God is redeeming that. I remember one time we had someone I was in a previous in my previous church and we had someone come in and and um, we, we had a, a a guy with us who had a lot of experience and all that and, and we we were trying to think, okay, like has this guy got like something like is this like oppression or or has he just got like a mental illness? Is this spiritual or is this medical? Right? And the guy like Our friend, he's got a lot of experience, not just in WA, but all over the world. And and he said, it's a very simple way to find out. Use the name of Jesus, right? If you use the name of Jesus, something happens. Hey, it's spiritual. Nothing happens. Guess what? Medical. I thought there was a lot of wisdom there. If you understand the power of the name of Jesus, that is, you know. You you can't be like the boys in the book of Acts. They, They try to cast out these demons in the name of Jesus. They have no idea who Jesus is, and they just get whooped. You know, but if we understand that, that that makes it very simple. But what I really believe is the role of the church is to see liberation come. To see families liberated. To see schools liberated. To see communities liberated. To see we as a church stepping into a place that we are called to be in. Yet we have for so long and so often, not not everywhere, a lot of people do this, but a lot of times we as a church, we refrain from stepping into the position that God's called us into, of actually being those prophetic people, of actually stepping into a place. And when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this situation as it is in heaven, we are not talking about a time frame of when Jesus comes again. Jesus said, pray like this to come now. And there is an opportunity for us to step into those places, because in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' missional understanding, he would step into situations that was completely uncontrollable, and he would bring order and control into those places. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. One of the things that I find, um, I found a lot of times, that is a bit perplexing, not just in the life of Christians, but in my own life. Um, I need to put myself completely in this bandwagon. Um, And this is even well before I was a church pastor. Um, It's just this idea that if we as a church... If our role is to be agents of change, if scripture says we are ambassadors of Christ, and if we're ambassadors, then the church must be an embassy. This must be somewhat of heaven on earth. There must be something about us. If we're supposed to be this prophetic people who live on the cutting edge where there is this thin line between heaven and earth, and we're like right on the edge, if we're supposed to be the people who are the agents of God's liberating reign coming in, why is it? that we as the church spend a lot of time trying to get control over uncontrollable situations and issues with Christians instead of stepping out and seeing uncontrollable issues in the world coming under control. And I think it's because of this. Somewhere along the line... And I'm not saying it's this church, this is broadly about the church. It's not just my observation, it's everyone's observation. Somewhere along the line, Christians have seen the church as being primarily purposed for the church. When the church was never primarily purposed for the church. The church's primary purpose is for the world. It's for the world. And I think that if we can actually change that shift a little bit. Instead of it being like, I need to go to church, I need to go, I need to, I need to go to the pastor, get my issues sorted. Well, you have a beautiful, beautiful high priest in the order of Melchizedek, as the book of Hebrews says, right? I've, I've mentioned this before, but Melchizedek is a really interesting character. We find him in Genesis, David goes back to him in the Psalms, and then we find him in Hebrews only three times. The significance of Melchizedek is that he is a king priest, Okay. Now do you remember Saul and David? Do you remember how Saul got kicked out? He was a, 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 a king who tried to do a priestly work and he got booted. So that's how Saul got kicked out. David is looking through the scripture and he anticipates there will be another one in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is our high priest which means that he understands, he's a mediator, he's in. Counted every single temptation that we will ever encounter, which is fantastic. But he's more than just a priest, he is also king, which means that it's one thing for God to, for Jesus to say, you know, I can mediate between you and the Father. It's another thing, he has all authority as well. So we have this beautiful king priest, high priest, Jesus, which means that when I get things in my life which are completely out of control, I don't need to go to Phil or Trevor. I can actually go to Jesus and get that sorted, okay? But As we do that personally, as we can take personal responsibility of our life to see those things happen, it actually sets us free and and removes some shackles in some regard that we could actually look outside and step into some situations and see that same power doing that. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? How do we walk in this? A couple of months ago, I was on a retreat, um, a Church of Christ retreat with some of the guys. We went for a day. And there was this beautiful academic who I love to learn from. Um, his name was Rob Reimer. And um, the beautiful thing about this guy is that he is a professor, but he's not detached from reality, if you know what I mean. So he is like an academic, a theological juggernaut, but at the same time, he's also a pastor. You know? and, and sometimes they're hard to find. You know, someone who just has the theology, but he can actually engraft it into grassroots. And then sometimes you find pastors who do grassroots and have no idea about theology, and like, we need them both. Um, and he was, he was speaking to us, and he actually anti- he articulated something which I have been grappling with, and he articulated what is actually happening in this story with Jesus. And he made this distinction. He said about the Christian world that we, at the moment, and I think for a part rightly so, that we pursue Christian leadership. We want to upskill. We want to have Christian leadership. And um, we we want to see that. But, But what he did, he said he made a distinction between Christian leadership and spiritual authority. He was actually saying they are two very different things. This is what he said about spiritual authority. He said, our spiritual authority is rooted in our identity as children of God. It's expanded in our intimacy with God. And it is activated by faith. I'm going to say that again because that's actually really important. Our spiritual authority is rooted in our identity as children of God. It's expanded in our intimacy with God and is activated by faith. Spiritual authority. Leadership capacity is very, very different. Um, He actually made this comment which actually really struck a chord with me he said the devil's not afraid of leadership capacity but he is terrified of spiritual authority isn't that so true and identity is enforced with the time that we spend with god second corinthians thirteen fourteen. this um for the last couple of years this one Um, verse has always intrigued me Um, it's the end of this letter Paul writing and he says may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you he's speaking to this church in Corinth and if you know anything about the Corinthian church they're a bunch of ratbags seriously my goodness if you ever want to like read up on about a church that's dysfunctional go and read first and second Corinthians you'll feel really encouraged they're just absolutely crazy But even in this crazy church, he ends this... um, We think it's probably the third letter, at the end of 2 Corinthians. He ends the letter with this assumption. He doesn't actually give instruction. He says, you know what? Have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He he leaves this, this letter with the assumption that the people of God, in this whacked out church, that you're having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That there is this intimacy... That there is this time together that is happening. And out of this time together, there's this spiritual authority that is built. Because you you can't come to a prayer line and and say, Dave, I need some spiritual authority. I'll get some oil and pour it on you. I'll lay my hand on you. It doesn't work that way because identity is only formed and reformed. It is firmed and reaffirmed by spending time in every single relationship. This week, um, my little girl, Kayla, um, had a talent show. She's been banging on about this talent show for ages. My goodness, it was, uh, it, it was actually good to finally come to the end of the talent show. And um, I thought it was so interesting, just the kids didn't know where I was going, you know. It was, like, uh, it, it was on a Thursday morning, and I just thought, I'm just going to hang back. I'm just going to watch my girl do a talent show. And um, what was interesting, like, Kayla saw me, and like, Kayla's, Kayla is a chatterbox, she's a socialite, so she, she's just chatting with her, with, with her little girlfriends over there, and no, 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 I swear, like my goodness, when she turns 18, I don't know what I'm going to do, but she's over there talking, 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 I'm not like, trying to get her attention, and she like, looks at me, and she goes back to her thing. <laughs> what I found really interesting was Jackson's response. <laughs> so Jackson didn't know I was coming too, and I was just hanging at the back. And I'm over there and Jackson is kind of looking like, like hanging with his friends. He comes in the alligator stall, the, the walking, he's got his piece of car, carpet which he's going to sit on. And he's looking around, all of a sudden he sees me. And his eyes just, boom, light up, light up. And he starts tapping his friends. And I can read his mouth. And he points and says, there's my daddy, there's my daddy. I thought, what an amazing, amazing, amazing response from a boy Who knows who he is who is affirmed like that it's amazing I've observed this dynamic in Australia many many times in fact last year we took our youth pastor Nathan to a football game because he comes from Cairns and they play rugby right in fact he's a rugby player so we took him AFL and we're sitting over there and I'm sitting with Nathan and like we're watching a football and, and, and there's this thing where like the people around are actually um, teaching him what AFL is, right? You know, like teaching him. You know, so and you find that all the time someone moves, comes to Perth from overseas or over east and, and they stumble across this game and, and, and they get perplexed, they get a little bit confused. So someone sits with them, oh, these are the rules, this is what's happening over here, these are the players, and they even tell them some kind of history. So you go to an Eagles match, you, you say, you know what, we've won the premiership like so many times and all that, if you go to a Dockers match, there's not much of a history over there, is there? Not much of a history at all. But you find, you find someone who, who, who's, who's, who's unaware, who doesn't know, but someone who has spent time in the game is just generous with their information and just sharing all the time. And it's not just in like sport, that happens everywhere. Have you ever like sort of been with someone who knows a lot about politics? When I was younger, to someone who was studying politics and I really didn't want to know too much about politics, but we sat down and had dinner and I had to endure this whole thing about politics, politics, politics. And they were taking the time, they were explaining, they were telling me history and it goes on and on and on. Whenever you spend time in a certain field, in a certain place, you, 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 that kind of happens. You know, I know more about horse riding now that Trevor's just gotten his horse Larry <laughs> than I ever have before. <laughs> we sit down and he talks about he and like Roz and talking about all these things. With and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, because he spent time in it. Isn't it amazing when you spend time in something, when you spend time with someone, you take the time to teach, to instruct, to tell. There's an observation one pastor made, and I'm not making this observation to someone else, let me tell you. But I think it may have a resonance. But he was saying this kind of dynamic happens all over the world in every single paradigm, in every single arena of life, except in the church, except in the church. Where you get this young guy, this young buck, who comes up to this older, older man and says, "You, you know what? I, I don't get this Christianity thing." And and I was like, "And and and they might be asking questions about church doctrine. They might be asking questions about what is the gospel. Maybe asking questions about how is this engrafted, or, or, or kind of asking questions about church history, the, the people of God." And so often you hear from the older people or, or someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long. And you say, "Well, I'm not a pastor. Go talk to the pastor." That's the observation a preacher made. But I dare say, how much different would it be if that older guy had the same kind of response as a little Jackson who'd been spending time with his dad? who knows who he is, who has affirmed his identity. He knows exactly who he is. And then he's just walking through life. He may be just, just doing the norm. This is what we do every Thursday. We go to this assembly. We, I carry this piece of carpet every Thursday. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees his daddy and his eyes open up and he taps his friend and says, there's my dad. See, there is something that happens when we spend time with each other. And there's something that happens when we spend time with God. With God. I can't... I can't do a prayer line and say, spiritual authority, come. In the name of Jesus, come. I can't do it. I can encourage. I can persuade. I can say, come on. This is amazing opportunity. God is actually calling us as the people of God to be prophetic, not in a way of, you know, the Lord is speaking to me and saying, so that is one facet of being prophetic. But a bigger facet of being prophetic is bringing about the kingdom of God into situations. That's what it means to be a prophetic church. And there is an opportunity for all, for all of us, for all of us. But I can't make anyone do it. All I can do is persuade. All I can do is try to compel. All I can do is open up scripture and say, you know what? This is It's there for the taking. It is there for the taking, church. It is there for the taking. Jesus said, as the Father sends me, I'm sending you into this world to cut sick for the kingdom of God. To cut sick, to not be intimidated. To step forward. Wherever you see a place, wherever you see a region that is in desperate need of liberation, step in. Step in the gap. Step in the gap. I'm going to call the band up. I just want to finish with one verse which is pretty cool. And then we're going to like pray and you guys are going to be unleashed to go change the world. Because you Christians, you have the Holy Spirit with you. You have the fullness of God with you. You have the blood of Jesus. You're a holy in His sight. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Anyone... Anyone comes or or any thoughts or condemnation doesn't come from God. God's endowed you with spiritual gifts. Do you know that? There are things that you can do which I can't do. There are things that I can do that you can't do. But together, we can get the job done. There are burdens on your heart which are not on my heart. And my job is not to say, oh, your burden's wrong, or my burden's more important, but to understand there is only one person who can carry the entire burdens of this world, and that person is Jesus. But what He does, He gives every single person a burden. And when you have a burden, it's like the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't have ambition; he had burden. He heard something, and it broke him. Other people heard the same thing; it didn't break them, but it was a burden that God placed on his heart. And that burden is an indication that you may be the one to step foot in that situation and be the agent of the liberating grace of Jesus. What an amazing opportunity we have as the church. 2 Peter verse 1, verse chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life isn't that amazing he's given us we have received all this by coming get this we have received all of this by coming to know him that's the key coming to know him coming to know him spending time with him having fellowship with the holy spirit setting myself apart to read scripture, to worship, to sing, to pray, to gather together as a church. But we received all this by coming to know him, the one who's called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Get this. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. To be a prophetic church, to be a prophetic people means to step into uncontrollable situations and by the grace of God, bring them under control. How do we do this? We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness by knowing Him. Christianity is so simple that it's so hard to do. Just to simply know Him. How is it that Jesus can rebuke a storm He was sleeping through? Encounter a guy with thousands of demons. The demons say, let us go into the pig. And he goes, okay. And that was the extent of it. It's because of the authority that was on him that authority that comes and is made available and possible to any child of God it's an authority that is rooted in our identity as children of God it is expanded with our intimacy our fellowship with God and it is activated by faith just stepping into situations and circumstances you want to be a prophetic people You already are. We are. It's amazing. Hey, let's pray.